Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Careers Mayor podcast with myself, Jordan Andrews, and my gorgeous host, Jacob Power. Bonjour. How the bloody hell are you doing? I'm doing extremely well, Jordan. Thank you for asking. How are you doing? I'm good. I can't complain. I've uh, I've been living the dream, mate, as I'm sure you are too. And as our guest will be doing by the end of this podcast. Oh, yes. Every guest we bring on, they say, oh, Jacob, Jordan, help me. I haven't got a clue what I'm doing. And we guide their hands through, through their past jobs, through their current jobs. And then at the end of it, we create them their dream job. And then just like Mary Poppins, we drift away. Drift away, and then we get sucked into a plane engine. Or at least that's what happened in the Simpsons episode. Oh, with Sherry Bobbins. (laughs) (laughs) Luckily, that hasn't happened yet, but we are prepared for the eventuality that we do get sucked into that plane engine, and we do um, have a lucrative death in service package as part of this podcast. Yep, and I am also wearing (laughs) chainmail. Nice and chewy for the plane engine. <laughs> oh, you do make me laugh, you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Guess you do as well. Um, yeah, we've got uh, we've got a good friend of ours on, someone that we've known for a long time, actually. Uh, someone that we didn't go to uni with us, but someone that we've known since we were in uni. Um, has helped us in our comedic endeavours, has personally helped me a lot with my improv and coached a whole group of us actually going up to Edinburgh Fringe to perform an improv show, which we are eternally grateful for. And her name is Lucy Fennell. Yeah, Lucy is great. She lived in Southampton and she got in touch with the then president of the Comedy Society that Jordan and I were a part of because she is very collaborative. If she's if she's somewhere, she wants to be in touch with the people who are doing comedy there. She's good at networking. So like Jordan said, we did a lot of uh, fun stuff with her and she brought a lot of experience and uh, level-headedness and discipline to our undisciplined student comedy which was very welcome she had a rather unusual job which is that she is an intimacy coordinator you heard that an intimacy coordinator so she coordinates intimacy which may sound a bit blue but that's exactly the opposite of what it is so get your mind out of the gutters listeners yep and get to know that job because it is very important in the creative industry fascinated to hear about it and learn more about it and also all of the odd strange jobs that lucy's had along the way that have brought her to that point so we think you're really gonna love this one so i think maybe it's time we bring lady fennel on don't you think jacob Lady Fennel. So what what we've been doing um, is starting from the beginning and we've been asking everyone, um, when you were little, what did you want to be when you grew up? A Blue Peter presenter. Oh, there we go. Yes. Yeah. Nice. Um, I'm having a scarf issue. 
But do you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave it on because it's very much tangled up with the wires, uh, which maybe means I wouldn't have been a very good Blue Peter presenter because <laughs> they do have to be quite dexterous, I think. And uh, yeah, and good at reacting to unusual situations. Yeah, I wanted to be, I think, I don't know if I wanted that from like uh, a, a young, young age. I think probably as a kid, I wanted to be an act, an actress or a Disney princess or something like that. Um, yeah, definitely something creative. And then when I was, I don't know, maybe like 12, I guess, or a bit, bit younger, I definitely thought I wanted to be a TV presenter and specifically Blue Peter. Very wholesome, isn't it? Yeah, that is really nice. Yeah. yeah. Did you have a favorite Blue Peter presenter? Um, Connie Huck. It's Connie ah. Huck. Of course. And now, of course, she writes Black Mirror. Some of it. Oh, yeah. And yeah, she's, she's um, married, oh, wow. to, Charlie she's married to Charlie Brooker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. her sister is an MP. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, Rupert Huck. Ah, okay. Yeah. There you go. So good family. <laughs> yeah. Solid. So, because obviously be, being an actress, being a Disney princess, being a Blue Peter presenter, you're always going to be on stage and in the limelight. Has being a creative person, has that always been in your blood, would you say? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I mean, there's so many home videos my parents catching me. It, I, precocious probably doesn't even do it do justice to it. I don't think. I mean, is precocious a good thing or a bad thing? I can't really remember. I don't. I, know I think what it's that not very. Means. I don't think it's very good. I think a precocious child is. I don't know. But I was very make believey, very um, dramatic, and my parents had like a bit of film footage of me sat at the top of the stairs, had a little pretend kiddies dressing table. I was about three years old, and I'm like brushing my hair and like singing a completely improvised <laughs> song about something and I was I honestly so young and then like used to pretend to be able to read before I could read and things like that um and yeah just like a lot of made up stories when we used to me and my sister used to play like make-believe type games and uh my sister used to my sister had a stutter when she was growing up which she wouldn't be upset with me mentioning I don't think um but she uh, would be like P -p -p Please just stop, Lucy. It's too sad. It's too sad. They were like, <laughs> I had put so many sort of poignant moments into this. Just like, well, but you have to choose between your child and your father. <laughs> Things like that. <laughs> and she'd be like, Papa, please, it's just too sad. <laughs> so there was always quite a lot of um, pathos in a lot of my children's make-believe stories. Um, so yes, in, in the blood, possibly mm. in a way that therapy has helped with <laughs> in later life. I guess that's quite common in like, uh, you know, like children's films or like fairy tales is yeah. there's quite a lot of like scary or heavy stuff going on really yeah like the good thing for me about having quite young siblings is I get to see how weird children's tv is now and how completely like airy like there's nothing nothing bad happens it's like this weird mm. kind of world where it's all a bit uncanny valley because everyone's just yes. smiling all the time and it's just a bit like yeah. yeah yeah you've not got like land before time have you anymore mm. where it do, do you ever see that jordan Land before uh, time. Little bits around my mate's With the house, dinosaurs. It? And it, yeah. it was like, it was a guy called Don Bluth um, who was kind of uh, around the same time as Disney, but, and all those Disney films in the 90s, like I guess late 80s maybe, but just always had far more sort of harrowing realism. So it was all about, you know, the dinosaurs becoming extinct or the, yeah, the ones yeah. that were left over trying to find the one bit of green land that was left where they could graze and stuff. And it was all just very heavy. 
Um, he did as well. I think he did Fievel's Great Mouse Adventure, if you remember that one. No. Again, about a little mouse that's like orphaned and he has to make his way in the world and he gets lost and washed down um, uh, drains and things. It's just Aww. like, it's, yeah, and it's really scary. Um, not scary, but just like heart wrenching. And I think my mum deliberately sat me down in front of quite a lot of things that she thought would evoke empathy and maybe that just went too far. <laughs> <laughs> Become too empathetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Empath fatigue, yeah. So was there, um, were your parents creative at all? Not professionally. I mean, they just read me a lot of stories and I learned to use the VHS player very, very, very young. Um, <laughs> play, P-L-A-Y, was the first thing I ever learned to spell oh, really? <laughs> aged about two just because my mum was like I used to get up at 4am and so my mum was like for, God, for God's sake this is the one that says play we'll put the VHS, VHS in the night before you can get up wander down and just press play on the VHS so um, so I mean yes she was creative in her solutions to try to get <laughs> in bed she used to also wrap up toys for me that I already owned in uh, paper bags so I couldn't suffocate myself but so I could just unwrap things and just take it just would care like another 20 minutes of sleep <laughs> um, but so, so I don't know I think I think yeah I think my mum's pretty creative she um she used to work I mean she raised us for most of her you know most of her time she definitely spent doing that but um before us I think she did various things including like uh designing the shop window displays and things like that um, okay. So she's yeah. always been quite visually creative and also a creative problem solver. My dad, I don't think he, I don't have him down as a creative person, but now I've just said that, the obvious thing is he's a magician. <laughs> Your dad's <laughs> a magician. Yeah, he's, he he was in the magic circle. I mean, he he does it um as a hobby now and it wasn't his main breadwinning job or anything, but he takes it very seriously and uh it's just his studies just absolutely just full of he just downloads lots of uh, magicians, very complicated books about um, what's the uh, NLP, neuro linguistic programming, and and all of that kind of Darren Brown stuff, really. Right. Yeah, and and so he's got loads of stuff about different card tricks and illusions, and the psychology of it really interests him. And it's just got it all scrawled down. I don't know why he like downloads it and then just like his way of learning it is to just re, not write it word for word, but reinterpret it and write down his notes and then read over his notes. And so he's very like that. And yeah, so growing up, he used to do our children's birthday parties. There was a very good <laughs> occasion where, so he, the first thing he did when he wanted to do magic, he turned up at a uh, magic shop in Covent Garden, I think. Um, and he just went in and said to the guy, like, I'm just beginning and I want to buy some starter magic tricks. And the guy said, do you want some of the good stuff? And sort of <laughs> winked at him and then locked the whole shop up and took him round the back and down into a basement where he then flogged him a load of really shit stage illusions. <laughs> like, like from the 50s <laughs> that were made of wood. <laughs> and one of them was a sword through the arm trick, which was a wooden contraption with three holes, one for a balloon, one for an arm, and then one for a balloon. And then a genuinely very sharp sword, which then would go through pop the balloons and, and go through the arm in the middle. But uh, the idea would be, and I don't think I'm going to be shot by the magic circle for saying that you would select a lady with a very slender forearm <laughs> for the illusion. And then the, the knife would just bypass her arm and, uh, and, and not go through it. 
So at one of our birthday parties, my dad selected the mother of one of the children who was there, who just happened to be a police officer. So she was actually really ripped. Um, and so her forearm was quite chunky, not chunky, but like muscly. And the sword went through and took, well, drew blood from her arm. So when she pulled her arm out and the sort of my dad says, and, and there's no blood whatsoever. And then... <laughs> It was blood all down. And and so from there, then on, my dad would only use my little sister as the person in that trick. I mean, it didn't stop him from doing the trick. Yeah, good. Yeah, Yeah. do that then. Go for it, Stephen. And so then again, coming back to my poor sister with her little stutter, she would go, "Uh, do it, dad, but be very, very careful. (laughs) Just really sweet, which I only remember because we've got it on video again. Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, so that was a, that was a good moment yeah <laughs> how has that oh, given wow. you like what view has that given you of magic tricks because my uncle is also a oh. really good magician wow. and i'm so desensitized to it especially because every time i've seen another magician it's been less impressive than my right. uncle right and my uncle is so he's so good he's so unassuming but he always carries a trick wherever he goes and like he'll just do it to the person in the shop just like a really quick one and they, they actually make me angry because no matter how many times I've seen it over years since I was a child, they're always so good that I just get, I go like, actually, how did you do that? And I get yeah. really like wound up. Like, yeah, um, you're the people that they have to avoid. Yeah. That you're the people that they shouldn't pick to help them with the trick. Like actively yeah. avoid the people who actually find it. I mean, yeah. angering. Well, yeah, I mean, that's not my only emotion. That is mixed with admiration, of course. But there's like, I remember one that sticks in my mind is, it was a classic like pick a card you know randomly and i i always think okay so he's going to try to suggest to me that i should pick a certain card so what i sometimes do is i'll look around the room until i see like a number or something like like if there's like a number on a greetings card or something and i'll pick that number and then i'll think okay whatever i was going to pick i'll do that number over or like left or right so i'm trying to make it as random as possible <laughs> to make myself immune from suggestion Wow. And then I guess I did something, picked this card randomly, and he put it back in the deck, and he said, okay, and he got out of his wallet, and in his wallet was a photo of his son. And in the photo, his son was holding the card that I just picked. And, Beautiful. And I was just like, what? How is that possible? That must be actual magic. It's amazing. Isn't it? <laughs> then, yeah. 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 I mean, that tends to be my opinion, is like whenever I have been shown the solution to the trick or how to do it, in a way, that's even more impressive because there isn't, I mean, I'm not very dexterous with anything like that. And a lot of anything that's to do with, you know, memorizing stacks of numbers or quickly working out, especially things to do with numbers, that is not my strong point. I always just think, well, actually, that's even more impressive. The actual mm. doing of the trick, the executing of that trick is as impressive as the illusion that that trick creates. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I find it amazing, but I am definitely a little bit jaded. By it. And I also think uh, magicians are like some of the strangest people in entertainment. <laughs> I don't know if that's fair or not. Yeah, they're kind of like... Kind um, of yeah. odd. <laughs> if you get all the different camps you have in the entertainment world, magicians are definitely like one of the ones out on the periphery. Like yeah, where along with they're... ventriloquists. Yeah. <laughs> what, what was your first ever job that you did? Uh, my first ever job, I worked in a hotel in Lowestoft, where I grew up on the seafront. The hotel was on the seafront. I didn't grow up on the seafront. On the beach. On the beach, yeah. yeah. I was a seal. 
Lucille. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I, I worked in the Hotel Victoria. I was thinking about this the other day because I think I was, well, I was certainly not old enough to have a job. I think I was 13. Um, and my friend Alex ha- had maybe said to me, oh, you know, I've just got this part time job after school at this hotel. And I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll come along. And I was definitely paid maybe £2.80 an hour. And I, uh, yeah. Ching, wow. ching. yeah, in cash, in a little um, brown envelope every two weeks or something. Yeah, and it, I had a little blue waistcoat and uh, a name tag. And uh, it was, I mean, it was a, f- a four-star hotel and we did silver service. So I had to learn to sort of do the quite dramatic napkin off the table and oh, across wow. the knees of the person. And then, uh, it, you know, when they'd close their cutlery, no to go in and take it away and offer them bread rolls to do that weird thing with a fork and a spoon where you have to make it into tongs to pick up a bit of bread roll. Have you ever done that? No. I've, no. I've watched people do that before. I've never been it's able not, to pull it off. Yeah. It's like, like that. And that's good for radio, isn't it? To do some <laughs> yeah. miming. Um, but anyway, so you're you're kind of using like chopsticks, as yeah, well, sort of. Like. But yeah, sort of. But anyway, so uh, I used to do that, and then I used to have to make butter curls. So we'd have to go down. I'd go down into the basement of the hotel. It's quite scary, and sit down there with a big block of butter and a butter curling implement, and then a big bucket of water with ice cubes in, and then you'd curl the butter and flick it into the bucket of ice cubes and then the next morning for breakfast you'd have to go and fish it out and put the cold butter curls on a saucer what a faff and i used to eat all of the as many chocolate mints like after dinner chocolate mints we had a bucket (laughs) of them in like the serving area i used to all night just unwrap them and and eat them and sort of stick them on the roof of my (laughs) to to eat as many as I could that and icing when we did a wedding there'd be loads of like icing off the cakes uh left could you eat icing yeah I used to cram the icing oh I love icing yeah Yeah. really I think that's like I've got quite a sweet tooth I feel like that's too much concentrated my teeth are so good yeah (laughs) they're actually made of icing yeah they're Um, yeah, so I, I did that. That was good. I mean, it was good fun because I was working with my friends and it, yeah, they'd, they'd have to send you home at 10 PM because they'd get in, tr- I think they were worried they would get in trouble. Maybe it was a le- maybe it was legal. I don't know. Mm. Is there a legal, it. what's, yeah, what's the legal age? Cause I remember when I got my first job, I think I was like a week or two weeks away from turning 15. So I think they were like, oh, well, we'll have you on a trial period for two weeks. And then when you turn 15, we can actually register you as a, as working here. But I was 13. Well, I've, I've punched mm. it up on the old uh, yeah. dial and <laughs> um, the youngest age a child can work part-time is 13. Oh, Okay. Except Absolutely children, above board. And this is something actually that an interesting exception I never thought about before, except in children involved in areas like television, film, theatre, modelling, because obviously, yeah, like they'd have to be younger, wouldn't they? Unless all children and all films would have to be 13 or over. Which loops around brilliantly to a lot of the work I do, but we'll come back to that. We will. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But they can't work full time until they're 16. Mm. Yes, that's my go. first job. Great. And how long were you in that job for? Um, it wouldn't have been too long, maybe uh, maybe a couple of years. I'd, and during that time, I also managed to get my sister a job playing the piano. They had a grand piano and oh. uh, she used to play the piano in the foyer. 
for a oh, lot more great. money. I was, you know, my two pound <laughs> eighty. She was on like twenty pounds an hour, and she really? she'd sit there playing and playing pretty much fur Elise the whole time <laughs> and uh, then she'd be like oh, I'm just gonna yeah can I finish now and then my mum would be like no she'll do another hour <laughs> uh, yeah. so that money went into the family coffers didn't it? It, it, it didn't but just mum was like there's no way you're missing out on a 20 pound an hour oh, job if okay, they'll right. have you longer you will keep playing for her Elise for as long as they will have you there to do it and she used to play like faster and faster as well it's just <laughs> So I'm a guess, like a lot of us when you're a teenager, you just bounce around from like quite a few yeah, different jobs. I yeah. worked in um, my uncle's kiosk in Beckles ice cream kiosk doing Mr. Whippies. Uh, you'll see a theme here. Stood in the back room eating all the flakes. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> just pushing flakes <laughs> into my mouth. <laughs> well, I so- guess. Um... Sorry, Uncle Barry. <laughs> I guess uh, I guess sort of the butter thing prepared you well for that dealing with cold rippled dairy products. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh it's it's good, very good to do Mr. Whippy's very therapeutic. Um mm. yeah, I, I liked working there. Uh it was like a shop for people who were staying on the the quay as well. So people would come in to get their groceries and we did teas and coffees. Um so that was good. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I did as a kid that I should bring to the fore. Um, I worked in like an Italian restaurant at one point. Um, yeah, just, you know, the normal kind of jobs that you do. Bouncing around, doing different things. Yeah. yeah. I didn't what? work at uni when I was at uni. And in the Italian restaurant, were you at the back eating the pepperoni, or were you were you yeah. like a yeah? Were, were you actually back in the kitchen? No, no, I wasn't. I was waitressing. Facing. Yeah, oh, okay, I, right. I was waitressing. So you but... you promoted out to deal with the. I tell you where I did <laughs> eat a work. Bit of food out on the plate on the way over. <laughs> <laughs> Slurping the uh, spaghetti up like Lady in the Tramp. I, wor- I, I worked in a bar in Lowestoft uh, called the Edge Bar. Yeah, uh, because it was on the pier. It's on the pier pointing out going into the sea. And I worked there during like big, well, all the time, but also during uh, events like the air show and also Christmas. And it was that cool thing where, I don't know if it's cool, but where people would buy a drink and then be like, and one for yourself. And mm. you would kind of be like, okay, I'm going to do a shot of water and then take the £2.50 and <laughs> add it to my tips, you know? <laughs> Great absolutely brilliant and, I, and just the tips was quite exhilarating because I wasn't used to that and also because uh the band the darkness originated in my hometown in my oh, high school I didn't know that yeah so they I played love Justin their, Hawkins I know they, were, they yeah. were great yeah I love it and and their song uh, Friday Night is all about my high school's extracurricular activities um, oh wow yeah, I don't remember it so I won't try and sing it but um <laughs> yeah so they played on one Christmas and uh I was, yeah, I found 20 pounds on the floor that night. So that was pretty good <laughs> when I was cleaning up. <laughs> that was not where I thought that story was going. No, it wasn't. <laughs> but that was when they, uh, before there was a smoking ban. So all I remember from that job is just coming home, just being like, every single time you go to work, God, I'm going to have to put all my clothes through the wash because they just, and wash my hair again. Mm. So annoying. And you forget that that was how it was. Isn't it weird when you watch even what seemed to me to be fairly recent programs like black books for example and every all the time people are smoking in pubs and restaurants and it actually is shocking it's weird now to us to see that even though mm. it, within our lifetime within memory it was 
Oh yeah, I was, it's, it's had such an impact. When they brought the smoking ban in, um, I think it's shut down now. But the uh, the Apple Garth Social Club in Fortnite, um, you used to be able to go in there and pay fifty p and go and smoke in the back room. Fifty <laughs> p. <So, 50p. laughs> yeah, so they just let you get away with it and smoke in the back room because they had a big snooker table in there. So I remember going in there with my granddad and and he would just disappear and then me and my cousin would play pool and he'd just be in the back just chaining and playing snooker with his mates <laughs> <laughs> oh i haven't told you about a weird job i had oh my goodness me <laughs> Go god how did i forget this i didn't like make any notes i thought let's keep it fresh uh, yeah. but i do need to tell you uh so i i don't know how much i can say i presume that the nda has run out but I worked um, on the Trisha Goddard show as a runner. Really? Yeah. Trisha Goddard is... As in I've got not, a picture um, of her. not Jeremy Kyle, the black woman who did... Yeah, Trisha. Yeah, yeah. Trisha. Yeah, I know. yeah, Trisha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, there's a, it's come under a lot... Those sorts of shows are obviously uh, sort of morally bankrupt and, uh, and were at the time, but have been revealed to be even more. Uh, mm. There was a documentary about the Jeremy Kyle show and uh, the, the tragic circumstances around... Uh, one of the people on the show taking their life after having been on that show. And I think, uh, I don't know, do I get into libel if I start to say, I don't know. Let's say that I think that was congruous with the way those sorts of shows were run across the board in terms of the way they approached different people in society to come forward and be on those shows and what they were promising in terms of resolution to those people's issues but how the shows really relied on those issues not being solved and instead being made worse. Um, so that was a, yeah, I was a runner on that show. Um, and yeah, from what I remember, I was on like a 24 hour contract so they could essentially sack you at any time. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Which was wild. And uh, there, I guess some of the, yeah, there's some terrible, there's some terrible things that about that show um, that I remember, but I, I, I wonder whether I could get sued for it now that the show's not on. I don't know. Maybe I'll say it and we can think about that later, but people would arrive and these, you know, so-called guests and say it was like a mother daughter uh, tiff or whatever. They would separate the mother and the daughter on different corridors of the studio's backstage bit. And then the researchers would do what they called talking up. So they'd go and speak to each of those people individually and like sort of heighten everything and get them really riled. <laughs> and they take their phone. We had to take their phones off them. If they had children in tow, which they sometimes did, they'd go into like a pretty basic nursery type setup. And, and so it was, it, it was really bad. Um, it was, yeah, to say the least. And, um, but some of the things that I found quite <laughs> funny and interesting about it was whatever the subject was they often needed like little idents I guess or like little in-between video-y moments to kind of have as people were talking so if it was like an obesity special they needed people eating 20 Big Macs or something it'd be like my 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 son just eats 20 Big Macs a day and we really need to help him and so so they'd need somebody to volunteer to sit and sort of munch into 20 Big Macs that they would they'd just film like a small portion of the mouth eating the Big Mac. So we'd all be like, yeah, me. me. <laughs> and there was one that was about like uh, my neighbour spies on me in my back garden. They needed to, they set up a trampoline. They needed somebody to bounce on the trampoline over, like looking over a fence. And there was, well, yeah, so there was that. And then there was like... Um, 
you know, just terrible things where it'd be like the phobia special and then say, right, Lucy, we need you to go out the front and receive the delivery of bees. <laughs> <laughs> things like that. I just you like, said, <laughs> and you just said, Lucy, we need you to receive the delivery of bees. <laughs> Were they yeah. were they like loose? Were they no, like, no, like they rolled uh, up the back okay. of a van and they just swarmed out? <laughs> just me with a net. No, they, they arrived in like a tank. So they, you know, somebody would obviously go on profess how scared of bees they were. Then they'd be like, "Bring on the bees!" <laughs> oh my god! It's terrible, isn't it? Absolutely. British TV back then was just insane, wasn't it? Do you remember um, what was it? My Fat Diaries. Or, was that um, real life or a... that that was real life was it? it was that it was that presenter who would go around and be like i'm here in huddersfield seeing a bunch of fatties who are so close oh, to yeah. like who are so obese they're gonna die if they carry on and he would just go into their houses and just berate these people about how overweight they were yeah and obviously of- obviously it doesn't work like when you just shame people into trying to lose weight but yeah it's just like that whole era of jeremy kyle and trisha and all yeah. that stuff but it's the americans just- were doing it as well weren't they with jerry springer and all of yeah. that yeah yeah so yeah not that makes it, it better yeah call it what it is it was just poverty porn yeah. Like oh, like Jeremy Benefit Carlin Street and, and all that yeah, as well. Yeah. Terrible, it's, terrible. Yeah. Mind like, you, we're not that much better, are we, with all of the like Love Island stuff? And I don't watch any of it, but all of that stuff's pretty morally bankrupt as well. I yeah, think. definitely, um, definitely. So that was a weird job. And then I was a teacher. <laughs> so was that did you when when did you do that because we, i did we're that in uni, between that before or after? so i did it after i graduated uni and before i uh did my pgc <laughs> just, just, just before we move on i have to I have to ask so it seems like quite a random success so you had like working in a hotel working in an italian restaurant i'm perfect oh, and then for I this was podcast. A runner on the trisha yeah. goddard I, honestly and then, and then it gets weirder move, we can't move on without establishing how you got that job because it seems like there's no so random that you just suddenly were doing that job well i sort of still thought i wanted to work in tv but this is the irony of it all right thinking i wanted to be a tv presenter so i had kind of pushed to try to do that so i my dad's friend is a cameraman um and so I'd like got a few, I got a few bits of work experience working on the Tracy Beaker show and Holby City and things like that. And so I kind of thought, oh, with my, I'll do an English degree because that's quite broad. And then I can try to, if I want to try and get into TV and film, I can. Which, yeah, after Trisha, I was like, I don't want to work in this. This is awful. This is a horrible industry. People are terrible. This, I, this terrible um and i was like ah, i'll give up on that and then i've ended up working in tv and film without really even trying to so the trisha goddard show i guess i wrote loads and loads and loads of applications to different people i also got a place on the um edinburgh television festival um it, it happens sort of alongside the edinburgh fringe actually and it's sort of a coming together of everybody in tv and well, tv and uh there was like a sponsored place for young people to go and kind of uh, be given a fast track into the industry, uh, including like a chance to do your own presenting reel, which I did and I was just terrible. And that does exist somewhere. And I'm glad that I don't know where it is. <laughs> I, I very much discovered I couldn't be a presenter. So, so yeah, I think I probably got that job off the back of wanting to yeah do that and maybe some contacts that I made through that. Yeah. So then I abandoned it and thought I'll be a teacher instead. 
And did you become a teacher? I became a teacher. I did a PGCE uh, in English and Media and Drama, uh, secondary school. Uh, it was really hard. It's the hardest thing I've done until I've done this current job. And uh, yeah, and then I went straight into teaching in a grammar school in Canterbury, uh, where I taught for three years. And then the pull of theatre and improv stuff, which I was kind of doing alongside my teaching, I was, uh, I started doing kind of courses in comedy and clowning and stand up and sketch yeah forgotten about the, the clowning thing. soho theater i did a few different things i started to just kind of curate my own training so i was going every weekend to do various different training courses mainly in physical theater clowning type stuff because that was all very uh big at the time at the fringe there was a guy called dr brown uh that's his sort of stage his stage name is dr brown but his actual name is phil burgers so I don't know why. Why is he not? Why use that? he doesn't use that? But but he won the Edinburgh Comedy Award in like 2010 or something like that. And and so I went and did his course, and it was all about that whole like Gollier clowning thing of being comfortable with failure essentially, and just finding or allowing your inner idiot to come forth and 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 use that as the basis for your sort of comedic persona, whether you then choose to do stand up on the back of that or acting or improv or whatever that you're you've got this like tangible connection with an audience who just like you because of the sort of effervescent fool that you are at the heart of yourself and how you're letting that come out you know it's like knocking the ego away, which was very interesting i I think like it's I don't know. I, I I now look at things that are like Gollier clown does a show. I sort of think oh, I don't I don't want to see that. It's sort of not what I'm interested in anymore. Mm. But um, but yeah. So so I was doing that all the time alongside teaching. I was also sort of uh, also doing spoken word poetry performance. I did like a poetry festival in Canterbury and got interviewed by the BBC, oh. and they were like Lucy Fennell colon poet <laughs> so <laughs> my partner calls me colon poet sometimes <laughs> and then clowning is i guess that's is, is clowning sort of like improv in that you're yeah. you're doing yeah i mean there's a there's a lot of clowning i probably can't speak for all clowns um but um, in the way i understand it it's it's about often solo performance but not always um and, and again, like talking about process rather than product, I guess, like doing sort of workshopped clowning stuff was around uh, allowing the pain of failure to work for you, not against you. So and there's a lot of it is about dismantling the ego of oh, I've got a really great idea, because as soon as you think you've got a really great idea, often that isn't very funny. <laughs> Mm. And it, and it's usually watching someone think they've got a good idea, but watching them fail at it that's funny. And I, I especially enjoy uh, Buffon clowning, which is, it's almost the thing you do before you do clowning. It's like, uh, it, it hinges on, it's like um, the whole tradition of, in medieval society, I don't know, this is not a history lesson, but the outcasts, often people who had any sort of physical disabilities and things like that might have been, or, you know, uh, people who were outcasts from society who on sort of the, the fool's day could come into society and perform for everybody else their satire of what they saw of society through the cracks. I mean, it's more of a sort of apocryphal tale, really. It's not, I don't think it's meant to be taken literally, but um so they'd come in and do their parody of the king or their parody of these people in power. So these sort of disempowered people 
taking the piss out of the pa- the powerful people in society. And so uh, somebody you could look up is like Red Bastard is he was at the fringe. Yeah, I've yeah. Heard so of him. He, his was that he did lie to me, didn't he? Was that yeah, his show? So that, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's a Buffon performer, Eric Davis, um, who, who does it. And yeah, and so it's it's like clowning where the clown is like innocent and wanting to learn and always optimistic and always has a great idea the buffon is a little bit more shrewd and kind of like draws you in and then uses it against you you know so when we was learning buffon you kind of wrap yourself up in lots of things and you like mold yourself into different shapes and bind yourself up with tape and things and and then so it's very physical theater in that way and then you just like do a thing and if they hate you the audience pelt you with tennis balls so it's about like feeling the pain but then enjoying it and it's a sort of a strange uh vibe to it in that way but i certainly enjoyed it i haven't done it for years but um and i don't know if it informs anything i do now <laughs> maybe it does <laughs> i don't know <laughs> at some point by the way before we skip on to my job now we must talk about when i was a high dive uh presenter of a high dive stunt show in a theme park <laughs> oh lucy you are just the most perfect guest <laughs> this is brilliant yeah so i was a teacher and then i i left teaching because i was offered the chance to do uh i'd already been doing kind of improv and workshops and things alongside my teaching outside of school hours and doing stand-up and comedy and things like that and then i got the chance to audition for impromptu shakespeare which is an improvised shakespeare uh show which i've been in for 10 years now we're, we're all there's there's a point where like i don't think any of us are under 30 now <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, veterans i think is the is the name uh so so yes so I, I joined that and it was because yeah i needed to i had to leave i had to leave my job in order to do it really and so i did which was a big move. And it kind of coincided with a lot of life changes in my life and relationship changes and things like that as well. But these are all catalysts for change and it was quite a good good thing in the end. So I went and did my first Edinburgh Fringe, which was amazing because I'd been there as a, a spectator and, and just it was, a, it was a dream come true to get to go and do it. Although I have to say we were performing in exactly the same venue in the underbelly as uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who was doing Fleabag when it was first up at the oh, Fringe. Oh, wow. But it was like nobody knew who she was or what the yeah. show was. And they were trying to give away tickets to fill seats. And so they invited all of our improv group to go. And we were all so full of our own bullshit <laughs> that we turned down tickets to Fleabag. No. <laughs> yeah. And so I've ne- I hadn't. Yeah, I haven't seen it. I didn't see it then. Um, and then obviously it became everything it was. And I thought that is a lesson in humility um, mm. because I really missed out. But I, I just was like, I don't know what this is. What is this? Um, <laughs> so, so yes, yeah, so I kind of, that opened up uh, a time where I was doing, I guess, bits of teaching, bits of tutoring, some supply teaching, um, improv teaching, um, improv performing, uh, and I was starting to kind of do things where I'd go into schools. So there was a school in Southampton where I was, well, that was before I moved to Southampton, but but I was, you know, going into schools and doing improv stuff and things like that. And then it just meant that there was occasionally very strange jobs I was doing. So uh, a friend of mine uh, used to run like a kind of, I guess, almost like children's party or entertainment kind of company. Uh, and <laughs> there's a theme park local to where I grew up that I love talking about called Pleasurewood Hills. Um, I implore you to go and have a read on their trip advisor and you'll soon get a flavor of it. <laughs> it's one of my favorite things to do. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, so it's it's right. a theme park that was from the 80s. It started off in the 80s. And when it first started, when my parents used to go, it was just a climbing frame. That was all it was. And a barbecue area where you brought your own meat to barbecue. And it's kind of iconic and it's still around. Uh, and in the 90s, it was home to Mr. Blobby and Noel Edmonds and they had a show there. So it's it's a really strange place. But more recently, my friend got a contract with them to provide a, a high dive um, presenter for a, for a high dive show where there was a whole group of divers, performers, trampolinists, I guess you'd call them as well, stunt performers really, doing a sort of half an hour high octane outdoor diving show in the theme park. So it had a Mayan theme, you know, like, <laughs> you know, like a cenote. Uh, so the, is that, am I saying that right? You know, like um, when there's a big hole in the ground and underneath is water in Mexico. I don't know. Yeah. It was yeah, like yeah? A cenote. America, yeah. So yeah. it was like, so we like had this Latin very America. big sort of um, MDF, you know, pool painted orange. It was only eight meters deep, actually. And then they used to dive from 20 meters up in the air was like the finale. And then at the side trampolines and they'd do sort of um, trampolining and climbing up the wall with their legs and things like that. And, and, and there was a bit where they were set on fire and I was the presenter and, and I don't know like how well judged the theming of the show was because I think I was like the, the British explorer who's, who has come to meet all these strange Mayans who are diving into the... And, you know, so it had that kind of vibe. So I had, like, my... Basically, Indiana Jones, rope, hat, satchel, shorts, Timberland boots, and <laughs> did that show three times a day, rain or shine. Um, and the performers were really fun to, to get to meet. They were from all over the world. And, uh, yeah. And so I did that for, like, two summers. Um, yeah. I mean, so, that's, that is the story. <laughs> so what did you actually do? Like, what was... So, hello, boys and girls. Um, <laughs> my name's Dr. Fosters, and today we're going on a great adventure together. After three, can you say, yeah? <laughs> so I can't remember what it was, but something like that. And then, and then I'd be like, just, uh, yeah, just narrating the show, really. So I'd be like, what, you're going to do a dive? And then he'd like <laughs> mime, and then would be like... What like a fish, like an alligator? Oh, and he'd be and he'd be like doing actions and stuff. And then I there'd just be a whole bit that was just sort of ten minutes with with music and me just going, whoa, yeah, wow, woo, just over and over while the music's going. Also like clap, clap, clap because like the music's happening, getting everyone to clap till their palms are red. And uh, yeah, so I did all that. There was a terrible day where uh, one of the performers broke his leg on stage, <clears throat> well, on the trampoline. Yeah. Ooh. And I had to kind of... Work it into the act. Work it in, just roll Ooh. with it. <laughs> <Ow>. <laughs> <laughs> so poor chap. And uh, yeah, so I had to kind of try and follow the protocol such as it was and uh we got an ambulance there and that was all fine but and he stayed he stayed in my parents front room till he healed <laughs> how long was that six months <laughs> it was quite a long while poor guy because they'd been putting them up in caravans on the park site but they, he couldn't get in he'd had his leg pinned <laughs> So oh my god! Get into the caravan. So my mum just had him in. Like she moved a bed downstairs in our front room, like like uh, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory with the grandparents. 
Vivian. <laughs> and poor, uh, what was his name? I actually can't even remember his name now. But yeah. And one day, did you like offer him something? He got out of bed, started dancing. <laughs> yeah, around exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, can I just? You've mentioned about the reviews. Right. I found, I found a good review. <laughs> um, what a review for what? Sorry. Pleasurewood Hills. For Pleasurewood Hills. Oh right, yeah, okay. So this is this from is this from April this year. Uh, one one star, um, and it goes well. What bunch of rubbish! We went on a total of three rides because we had we'd had enough of the place. The first ride, about half of it was closed and squeaking. The second ride, one of the guns wasn't working. Um, third ride took a, twenty minutes to start for a two-minute ride. Oh, and the amount of maintenance running around didn't add to the atmosphere. To top it off, a roller coaster ride got stuck for twenty minutes with people in it halfway <laughs> up an incline. Fortunately, I wasn't on said ride, but our kids were so disappointed in it, it ruined our day out. Avoid. Go to Yarmouth Pleasure Beach instead. Exactly. Oh, and the woman we spoke to on the phone about it just moaned and huffed and puffed. Well done. Yeah, yeah. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. It really is. I sometimes just sit and just read them and tears rolling down my face. <laughs> Honestly. I, I bet it wasn't like that when you were there though, Lucy. Well, I got quite a few nice reviews about, um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, there's just like a nice bit at the end where all the divers would line up and then all the children could come past and just high five them all. <laughs> <laughs> and they used to play Katy Perry's Raw. As a, oh, it, was, so it, was, it was very classic, nice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's something you said, Lucy, that I can't let go just yet. Okay. And that was that you said that some of the performers <laughs> were set on fire. And you kind of, yeah. and, and, then, and, then you did, and then you just moved on. <laughs> okay. Needed no further explanation. So, so, the, so this is what would happen, right? So we'd be backstage, which was a mud trench, because obviously it rained through the entire summer holidays anyway. Uh, the, the performer in question um would let's say it was uh Renato he would um wear like a wet tracksuit so he'd soak they'd soak the tracksuit in water that he'd wear against his body they're gonna say petrol no 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 because that's the next layer Jacob then he would soak (laughs) they had a canister of petrol they would soak a cape with a hood in petrol that he'd wear around him then he'd walk up, dripping in petrol, up the ladder onto the diving board, whereby he would be set alight by a pole with fire on the end. Then he'd go up in flames, hold it around him, dive in. Hopefully the wet tracksuit would be enough to protect him from burns until he jumped into the water and extinguished the flames. Um, and But like one day the canister of petrol fell over and the fire like dripped down off him and then set all the backstage on fire. So, yeah, we do knife throwing in between to relax. <laughs> so I guess we should probably move on now to what you do mm. currently. Um, so, yeah, tell us a bit about what you do at the moment. Yes, yeah, so... Um... So my job is an intimacy coordinator, um, which is somebody who, well, there's lots of different strands to it, but I guess the clearest thing to say would be that I am responsible for the sort of health and safety um, and advocacy and some of the legality, I guess, around staging scenes that include simulated intimacy, which is a whole umbrella term, really and or any nudity that happens in film and TV. So intimacy coordinator is specifically for film and TV. 
And then intimacy director is for any live performance um, where you're also handling those things. It's, it's mm. slightly different. Uh, yeah. Is that something that's freelance or is that are you attached to a company? No, or? That's, that's me. I've got an agent, but um, yeah, no, it's entirely me. And I guess yeah. that because when I heard about that, I thought that comes quite naturally out of the work you've done in improv like the and high stuff, dive stuff. Because, <laughs> well, yeah, the high dive stuff. Yeah. Because yeah. um, <laughs> you I, can see what happens when there's no intimacy <laughs> and it all goes yeah, wrong. Because yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a bit of a, it's a, it's a thing in improv, isn't it? Where, you know, if you're, if two people are doing a scene, one of them can't just like go and like snog the other one, you know. Well, uh, they can, but they possibly well, they can- shouldn't. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> but only if, you know, I guess it's been agreed in advance, so that's going to yeah. happen. But there's a whole set of good practice, I guess, about mm. how to do that. So is that how you got into that through no. improv? Or? No, not at all. Um, I guess we've skipped out a whole section of stuff I was doing prior to that, but it's not hugely important. But I, I had a whole... No, we can get... We can... Well, well I, I had a whole bit of time where I was working, kind of like I said, I was I was doing workshops in schools and stuff, and then I started to do that full-time via working for a theatre I was the drama engagement officer or, or something like that and so um yeah I start I guess I started working as well in schools doing um I guess kind of like PSHE type things so I worked in a few pupil referral units did we talk about this Jordan I don't know if you you worked did you why did I think that no no I mean obviously people? we did, I helped out with the school in Southampton didn't you I did. but that's why I'm yeah that's yeah. the connection but but I was working in so I was doing stuff to do with consent um practice and things like that um and PSHE and and then I was I was working in theatre as well and so the the main link really into the work was that I was assistant directing a production of Jane Eyre and uh we had an intimacy director come in uh, to work on the scenes that had uh, chemistry and romance and, and kissing and things like that. And uh, I liked, I just thought it was really interesting and un- unusual. And it spoke to some of the stuff I'd kind of been doing as an assistant director that was around kind of um, helping the actors to help themselves, really. So, like, I was providing time for them to warm up really thoroughly. And I was providing, like, um, you know, like a back roller and like vitamins and things. I mean, none of this is in my job now, but I was taking a very pastoral role as well as a creative role and I, and, I, and almost even a maternal role, I guess you could say. And so I, I found that quite interesting and tied in with not what I saw this guy was doing, but that nurturing element to the job that I, that I don't lean on too heavily in the way I talk about the job now because I found out that a lot of it isn't that. But I think that that is how I thought i would suit it so right. the guy who came in uh, was a guy called is a guy called enrique uh ortuno um and his he, he's in a company called um moving body arts and they do fight stuff and like stunt stuff uh, and and choreography but also intimacy and so uh the other member of that company yarrett door was running like a taster workshop for intimacy professionals or for people who might want to do intimacy as a profession uh intimacy coordination and direction and so I went along did a whole day and it was just it was just fascinating I hadn't thought about the application of uh consent work in theatre and 
and we were taking scripts and we were looking at how you would stage that stuff, but also how you would communicate around how you were going to stage it. And uh, yeah, there was just a lot that interested me. And because I was quite impulsive and spontaneous, and this was around, this was like 2019, and because I was quite impulsive, I uh, saw there was a year long accreditation coming up. And so I signed up to that and I had to go and do quite a lot of, I went and did a week of uh, Lecoq physical train, physical theatre training and did loads of CPD training around uh, mental health stuff and bullying and harassment and LGBT training and loads of different things. And uh, then I did, yeah, embarked on this year long accreditation course which ended just as the pandemic started, which was kind of funny because you're like, oh, I've trained in becoming an intimacy professional and now it's the least intimate time <laughs> of our lives. <laughs> no one's allowed within two meters of each other. Was this a bad choice? Um, and uh, yeah, and so I learned loads on that, on that course, um, including, I just, what sticks in my mind is we had the time to look at we went around art galleries and looked at kind of classical art and the way that different uh cultures or different um uh, sort of types of art have encapsulated intimacy and what that looks like and the physical choreography of that and the shapes and things and uh as well as the more pragmatic kind of paperwork side of things and uh, I did a lot of stuff around like non non-violent communication MVC which is all about like feelings and needs and a lot of it I guess is similar to stuff you would have in mediation training maybe um yeah and I only ever intended to do it to take it back to theatre work I in fact I thought oh this will make me a really extra good director and then the first day of my training in intimacy taught me that uh, you absolutely can't be the intimacy professional and the director in the same show because it's a huge conflict of interest. Mm. Because as an intimacy person, you're there to diffuse and be a third party to the power that's being held in the room by various people. And, and to be clear as well, you know, people can hold power, but not wield it in a way that is bad, right? <laughs> like if you're a brilliant director who everybody really loves working with, who everyone wants to be around because they're so fun or so uh, engaging or creative, that that in itself holds a load of power, right? Mm. <laughs> it's not all about the power to punish or the power to affect people negatively. Like you can just be powerful because you're somebody people like to work with and you can't get rid of that power however much you want to. So uh, being somebody without a stake in the in the production means that you can help to kind of balance and and uh, aid that communication and open up that communication and clarify things and uh, give choices and empower people to make decisions and stuff like that. Um, and 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 at its best, you're enhancing the quality of the performance, the authenticity of the performance, maybe. But you're also uh, doing that within a realm of what the performers are and I don't like using the word comfortable I can tell you why but but like what the performers are willing to do because the key here as well is you might not be comfortable doing something but you might be willing to do it and you might be safe but uncomfortable right right yeah I see what you mean yeah so if you're if you've like just started a new job as an intimacy coordinator what does that whole process look like from when you turn up first day to the end yeah it's 
always di- it's different every project is different um it's hard to know how frank to be <laughs> but but the yeah every production is different uh we're such a new profession so uh i think you know a pro- uh, let's talk about tv and film because that's the majority of what i do but they know how to work with the makeup team right they they know what that is they know what the makeup team will need from them and they know how to they know what sort of time they'll need they know what sort of space they'll need to do this they know that it's perfectly acceptable that at the last minute they want to come in and just you know do checks for the actors and things like that whereas our job I mean I'm being a little bit facetious by saying that but like our job is just the first thing we kind of have to do is remind or instruct productions about what it is we need in order to do our job safely uh and and properly and and you know responsibly because it is in itself a health and safety role right it's like being in a way like if you're the fire officer or you're the you're the stunt coordinator or, or something like that there's certain things you will need ahead of time like information so so from start to finish i guess uh you you are brought onto a project you'll receive the script um so we'll go through and we'll pick out things and and some of the things you might not expect that fall under intimacy like um uh people playing the part of like a dead body or um childbirth or medical scenes or um like personal hygiene or going to stimulating going for a wee or you know stuff like that um people don't necessarily think or even like uh scenes that involve I don't know, somebody like like a child in the bath and somebody who's not their actual parent in real life playing their mm, parent and mm. lifting them out of the bath or washing them or, you know, so there's all sorts of applications to it. Um, so we go through, I, I take all that stuff out, put it into a, a document that kind of outlines all those things and, and then you'd start to have conversations. So you'd be having conversations with maybe producers or showrunners or writers and certainly the director about how we're going to set about achieving those scenes so to give an example like if you've got uh, a scene with a a character having a shower obviously we'd expect that the character is naked in the shower but the actor may not ever show any nudity right so they might show we might just film them from the back and see their bare back not including their buttocks or legs Um, or maybe you'll film from the bottom and you see their legs with the water pooling going down the plug hole but above we can have the actor dressed you know so we're looking at like what do we need to see or do we does that character lean forward to turn off the shower and we actually do see a bit of side of their breast for example so that will all determine the sorts of conversations that have to come next around requesting nudity from actor so saying well look we might see a bit of side breast is that something that you're willing to you know do in which case that kind of opens up a whole other thing where we talk with costume and say well look, uh, we, you know, we might need nipple covers or we might not, or, uh, or like we, we need to have a conversation with, um, legal about drawing up a nudity rider. So we'd have a scene specific for the shower scene, bit of uh, writing that goes into that person's contract, specifying that they're willing to show side of breast in that scene. But crucially, it doesn't mean they're willing to do it on every other scene as well. Right. Because the context will change somebody's, uh, consent levels possibly so so all these conversations start to happen and there's a lot of back and forth as negotiations happen and yeah is it is it um something that is now required like legally required that uh what that a 
production have an intimacy coordinator? No, or is it something that's become more the it's norm? It's best practice, but it's not yeah. a, a legal requirement. Um, yeah, I think it's slightly different in the US, but yeah, I, I think certainly everyone's got on board with the need for somebody. It's become, yeah, it's become best practice and kind of expected practice. Are you able to tell us what kinds of things you've worked on? Yeah, um, I can talk about some of the past things I've done. So I'm um, just trying to think of sort of highlights. The first thing I worked on was uh, This Is Going To Hurt, which is the, the Adam, the Adam K. K thing. Oh, yeah, wow. yeah okay. with Ben Wishaw, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, which was really amazing. I, I worked on, that was the first thing I worked on because a, a colleague sort of passed on a few days to me to work on it um, because, yeah, and and I'd read the book and I was a big fan of the book and uh, Adam Kay's work. So, so yeah, I, I enjoyed doing that. But again, classic example of it being to do with um, sort of childbirth rather than sex, you know. Mm. Um, so, so, yeah, that's kind of interesting. An interesting one on that and kind of not talking too specifically, but just to sort of step, uh, take a step sideways from that work. An interesting thing is like, even if you're, if you're showing a prosthetic uh genitalia or, or body so if you're thinking about like childbirth scenes and things like that where you're needing to show prosthetic baby emerging from a prosthetic vulva right the actor whose body is being portrayed via that prosthetic still needs to sign up that they are willing to show nudity because it's perceived as their body mm, yeah and they're so realistic looking so even though it's a prosthetic there still needs to be a conversation of are they willing to, sh are they okay to sign that they're willing to show that prosthetic vulva as though it's their own, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Yeah. 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 Is it hard not to giggle? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you know what? It's so much at stake. It feels like there's so much at stake all the time that it just feels deadly serious to me. Like uh, I, afterwards, I guess there is like a, a sort of out of body experience of, wow, this is such a, strange and interesting job and uh some of the minutiae i guess that i end up uh engaging in you know some of those conversations it's everything becomes very detailed and uh yeah like minutiae is the best way to describe it you're talking about all these little little things little moments uh body parts so in isolation clinical. very clinical yeah and so afterwards you do sometimes think oh all that and we're talking about yeah showing buttocks or you know <laughs> and you've had a sort of email back and forth thing going on so so no in the moment it, I absolutely feel so far from giggling because it's just uh it feels very high it is very high stakes because of it being a health and safety thing and and mm. and and there's there's a lot of volatility on set as well you know stuff changes at the last minute and and I always say this that like obviously a lot a lot of the perception of this job is that it kind of emerged from the me too movement but it was actually going on before that it existed prior to you know Harvey Weinstein and all that and i think because of that link people kind of see it as some people see it as a bit of a like going in to be the superheroes who save people from sexual predators and obviously there is that aspect of it um in the as as anybody should look out for anything like that that's going on and we should all be aware of reporting things that that we might notice going on um a lot of the time our job is all about just closing up gaps in communication and just linking things up like so much of it comes about through people not being um 
people are well-meaning but just there's a lot going on we're one tiny cog in a whole big production and so we're just there to monitor and take care of that aspect um and and all the things that it encompasses and joining up all these different departments so so yeah um so no i i, I don't giggle <laughs> which is why i have to go to the edinburgh fringe and have a good giggle because uh it's not it's not a giggly job it's not no So we come now to the final section, which is where we find you a dream job. Uh, do you actually have a dream job already? I have a job that I dream about a lot in a sort of anxiety way. <laughs> and <laughs> okay. I don't think that's what you mean. A so... nightmare job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this could be the evil podcast. This could be the, the evil spinoff. Yeah. We'll make this a Halloween special. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I look. I love, I do, I'm very grateful for my job and I uh, respect it and I'm glad I do it, but it is high octane for me. So uh, I, I guess, can you design me a more relaxing dream job? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Is there, is there anything like that has been a dream job at some point in your life and it's something that you think, maybe I would go back to that at some point later well, on? Yeah, the truthful answer to that, I might genuinely go back to it or go to it, is I'd like to learn to be a masseuse. Oh, okay. I mean, that would that would be if we're talking on a scale of high octane to low octane. That you're jumping right from one to the other. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I actually think one day I might do that. So I, I like that. I think it's it's worth saying that I would would have always liked to have worked outdoors with animals. So I had horses growing up and things like that. So I'm quite outdoorsy, and I always thought it would be quite nice to have a sort of like therapy farm or something like that you know like where people can go to relax and do sort of mindful things whilst looking after animals so yeah that that would be great a job where I'm outdoors all the time but I also love I'm never happier than being in sort of like a rehearsal studio and like making or devising a show together in a theatre context because I just love I love that okay so how about this where you you can you can have your therapy farm but you've also within the therapy farm you've got an open air theater yes and as part of the therapy sessions obviously if people are comfortable with it they can help you work on sort of creative projects a bit like i guess what we did in the schools or what you did in the schools as well like teaching improv to the kids it could be some something like that where it all maybe builds up to a fun little show that they can do yeah i like that I like that a lot. Yeah, I love an outdoor theatre space. Mm. That's great. And in the back of my head, I'm thinking, can you be an animal masseur? Yes, but you then can. Yeah. You can. <gasps> yeah. But I wasn't sure whether can I, I was take thinking... take my dog for a massage? Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't sure whether I was thinking of that time that Bob Morsmer was on Would I Lie to You and claimed to be a dog masseur. Because <laughs> I was thinking, is that why I think it's a real thing? Because of that. <laughs> But is that actually a thing? It is a real thing. Yeah, they do um, animal acupuncture as well. And uh, yeah, all sorts of alternative therapies. You could even get pet insurance that includes them. Animal acupuncture? Surely the animal would, if you started jabbing needles into it, would would be angry. They get them all relaxed, honestly. And the really good thing about animal acupuncture is they can prove that it's not a placebo effect. Because although... It's interesting because sometimes the placebo effect is on the owner of the animal and the oh, owner's right, perception yeah. of the animal's improvement, mm. right? But yeah, interesting. Yeah. So what? Why would you massage an animal? If they've pulled a muscle, 
if they yeah i don't know like i mean my dog like pulled a muscle in his neck and he was in quite a lot of pain and so i think you could massage a yeah so is that something you'd be interested in i hadn't ever thought of it but uh in a hypothetical situation where i could be skilled enough to do it absolutely i'd be interested in that oh yeah this is this is your dream lucy we yeah you you can have whatever you want then yes please an animal masseuse. Okay. Okay. So we're we've got you're an animal masseuse on a therapy farm, and you've got some kind of amphitheater there. Yes. As well. Yes. What kinds of productions would go on in such animal a... farm? For a start, <laughs> just, just animal farm. <laughs> yeah, just animal farm. Charlotte's okay. Web. Charlotte's Web. Yeah. Old McDonald. Could you massage um... a spider? <laughs> no. Secret Life of Pets, uh, Hotel for Dogs. Those are um, films, Jordan. Have you heard of theatre? Yeah, you can adapt them, though, can't you? You're smart, you're creative, adapt them. 101 Dalmatians. Sure, sure. Now, what we what we should say is in this section, um, there are obviously, it, it's a dream, but, you know, sometimes not everything is cracked up, you know, what it's cracked up to be. Um, I don't know, let's say maybe... Um, once a month in your productions um you have to in in the same style of the of the guys diving um you have to set you have to set someone on fire for a little bit in your in your productions okay. yeah i wouldn't I okay we've all, we've crossed the red line straight away <laughs> okay yeah. Yeah, okay we've got to work back from here yeah now. okay we know the line you've set okay. up a utopia i'm not gonna set it on fire well, no, I, just a person or a or a pet if they if they're okay well, with it. Hot roast. <laughs> Let me see if I can mediate this a little bit. Then this, so you're obviously. Hey, come on, that's Lucy's job. <laughs> um, do you live on this farm? Because like, it's a yeah. Fa- is that what yeah, you're imagining? Nice. Yeah. That'd be okay, nice. right. So you're going to need staff, aren't you? Really, to kind of get all oh, these yeah. animals uh, to be doing rehearsals and. What kinds of animals do they normally have on those like farms? Where... Donkeys, um, llamas, alpacas, um, pigs, uh, cooney cooney pigs. Those are the special like rare breed ones. What's, sheep sheep what goats. Cooney cooney pigs. They're like uh, slightly ginger and hairy. <laughs> Jordan. Oh, yeah. For the for the <laughs> listeners who don't know what I look like, I am ginger. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Little goats chickens maybe some ferrets and these you want all of these on horses shetland ponies miniature little falabella ponies yeah and what kind of so if we had to get you some staff oh <laughs> right i've just looked on cooney cooney pigs yeah oh yeah you you'll have some of them yeah yeah <laughs> for sure Coonies. would yeah. any of the animals live in the house with you um dogs can live in the house um I'd let the pigs into the kitchen area, in and out. Goats, in maybe. in the kitchen area is in. Yeah, in like the with food, a stable or... door. No, you know, like a stable door <laughs> on the back door. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You've got you've got a kitchen that's flagstoned. You can wash that down easily. They can come in and out. Yeah. Oh, this sounds really so nice. nice. Very relaxing. Out of all the ones we've done so far, this is the one that I want. The most yeah, I want well. this one too. Yeah. <laughs> would you have people live in there, or would it just be like people would come and visit? It's not a cult. Would it be like a retreat? <laughs> yeah. It's not, not a cult. It's, it's not a cult. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'd I'd live there. I'd live there. I'd have an annex. 
for no reason because I wouldn't actually let my parents live in that. Um, so I just have an empty annex. Um, and then <laughs> I hope they're for the Cooney Coonies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then um, no, and then maybe I'd have like I know the annex is for visiting uh, theatre companies that are coming to visiting royalty. Yeah, yeah. visiting royalty, <laughs> visiting theatre companies who or improv companies that are going to come and put on a show in the amphitheatre. Okay, so you wouldn't necessarily need to always be in the show. Like, oh no, I'm not the show. Have, you'd have no. it as a venue, or you'd be coordinating yeah. coordinating the venue. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. right. Yeah, but you would do your own shows. I guess maybe yeah. or things from time to time. Do like, a bit of like clowning. Yeah, bit of clowning. yeah, to no one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, to, I, the, to the pigs and donkeys. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's the other thing is that I'm imagining. So this farm, obviously rural, but is it within you know reasonable travelling distance? Of, it would have to be yeah. like London or something, so you yeah, can have, have a good audience, be. people coming out, and you'd set it up as a venue, mm. um, a bit like theatre on the farm. Oh, not funny. It's nice. not funny. It's just actually a genuinely good idea. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> We're just, we just won't, we're just not going to put this episode out and we're going to go and set this up ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's still the idea. Because I think, like, my dad lives in Adelaide and I think there's a comedy festival yeah. that happens there, not as well known as the Melbourne one, obviously. But, mm. um, yeah, but he said, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he said that there, like, I guess unlike Edinburgh, it's quite common for people to set up, like, outbuildings and barns mm. and things they have on their land or even their houses to be used as venues for the fringe so i can imagine that maybe you can you can yeah advertise this as a kind of venue where people can come outside of london have a big yeah. open space obviously yeah. you've got british weather to account for but well it could have a sunroof <laughs> the amphitheater <laughs> would you like that yeah, I would. Yeah, I think it's it's wise for it to be undercover, I think. Yeah, made of stone, yeah. like a stone sunroof. <laughs> we could design that for you. Okay. <laughs> Do you want a diving board? Just like no, the good old days? Not. <laughs> no. no, thank you. <laughs> oh, are you sure? Because like the, the middle of the amphitheater could drop down like a bit of it and then there's a pool underneath. <laughs> <laughs> do you know i think that pool of water is still at pleasure with hills in fact i know it is they never took it down so it's just rotting like putrid oh. water oh. yeah what it's... do you mean taking it down like, is it well as in like it needed to all be drained and like pulled apart and stuff sorry my dog is barking but yeah. no i can't hear um, him you so. couldn't hear it i can't okay. hear him now okay um and yeah it's all just i i think the amount of hedgehogs that might have fallen into that pool you know, mm. and not being able to get back out. And mosquitoes love or that children, as well. Or children, even. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that was one of the love... reviews, actually. One of, one of the kids, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. One of the kids fell in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But I guess in that scenario, you don't have your, like, intimacy coordinator skills being used so much, unless you're doing that for the shows that come along and... No, it's a conflict of interest, wouldn't it be? You know, I couldn't, I couldn't be doing mm. that for my own theatre, so... Uh, so no, I wouldn't be using that. But I think okay. a lot of the stuff I've learned has underpinned a lot of uh, the way I do other things. Anyway, it's just change. It, it's one of those things that changes your whole outlook on uh, all the relationships that you have and all of the ways you communicate. So, yeah. What kind of working hours do you like to do? So uh, you know, obviously standard is nine to five, Monday to Friday. But if you're in your dream job when would you 
kind of work. I guess with this, it's very much like your well, life and your work are yeah, it's are a melded farm, together. isn't it? So I guess you'd have to get up. But you like early, an early. I guess you, you're yeah. you'd have to be an early riser, probably. Yeah, I'm not usually. I'm quite a night owl. But yeah, in in my job, I mean, the hours are just anything. Like you could be on set at six a.m. Or you could be doing a night shoot where you start at 3 p.m. and go through till well, two in the morning or something. So uh, it's all sorts of different things. I had a wild one a few weeks ago where I did a day, then a night shoot, and then a day <laughs> on <laughs> oh different God. productions. Did you, you just didn't sleep or you just yeah, straight just, through? Straight, well, I, I came home, I slept for like a few hours and then went back out. Wow. Wow-y. With driving in between. Do you, do you kind of imagine that when you're... You know, at like retiring age, do you imagine like oh, being somewhere in the countryside like this would be somewhere you'd want to be? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I'd like to have a little cabin with so I can do my massage business. Um, and yeah, I'd like to have lots of animals. Yeah, I'd like to maybe even look after dogs or something like that. Yeah, rescue dogs. So when you said about being a masseuse, is that like? Because obviously we went off on a immediately went off on a tangent about animal massage, but <laughs> is there something about being a ma- you know a normal masseuse that what what is it that appeals to I, you about that? I, it's I don't know. Basically, when I was growing up, I used to like get loads of different books out of the library, and I got like several different. I don't know why I was drawn to like um, there was a there was a book on anatomy, and then there's like you know those like uh, Dorling Kindersley books that were all lots of big pictures. Yeah, and all, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I had, love them. Yeah, and I think mm. they might have had one on massage techniques. So <laughs> I was actually like a very good child masseuse to, <laughs> <laughs> by the age of sort of twelve or thirteen. And so I used to give my mum foot massages and back massages and stuff. And I just found I'm very gifted at it. I know exactly what to do, where to press. I'm sure I could be more technically uh, good at it, but yeah, I've I've just got a, I don't know. I've just got quite a good feeling for it i also like going and having massages so i sort of i don't know so i've got an inkling that i'd be quite good at it and i just feel like in the future to with all the consent knowledge that i've got on a very serious note it might be quite good to Mm. combine that and i'd really like to offer massage to people who maybe feel like they're not able to access it for any sorts of reasons maybe that being sort of like gender transition reasons or um trauma reasons or uh disability reasons maybe um so yeah just a way of kind of uh offering people the chance to experience the power of positive touch you know um consensual positive touch in a therapeutic way i think i'm doing a bit of self-massage now of my shoulders Well, then uh, this uh, yeah. this kind of farm idea that we have, I think that would be quite a nice setting for that, wouldn't it? If you could yeah. have this business and say to someone, if you're into animals, then you're, it's your lucky day because mm. you, can, you can do that. You could, well, that would be quite a nice package, wouldn't it? Like to offer, like, be really first of busy. all, come out and see the, the spiders and things that I've got in my barn and then uh it's quite quite creepy actually <laughs> come, I'm just, come and I'm see just... the spiders i've got in my barn do you <laughs> need do you need a relaxing uh, time in yeah. the countryside come see the spiders <laughs> i'm sorry i just really got fixated on it when you mentioned charlotte's web and now i can't stop thinking about <laughs> the barn being full i'm imagining the spider from charlotte's web which is yeah. quite a nice spider 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 so. quite a nice spider <laughs> um yeah and then they can go out and see the animals, like the what are they called? The cuckoo pigs or cooney 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 yeah. pigs. 
and then come in and have a nice massage. Um, I guess if there was a massage in a film, that would be the kind of thing that you yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah. That and, and have done, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Only with an incidental background bit where there was just happened to be like in a spa setting and there was uh, people oh, really? being massaged. So they had a actual masseuse. And... Oh, so even then you still need to do that? Even yeah, if... yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, I d- <laughs> this is perfect. <laughs> this, is, this is a perfect, beautiful job. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> I to me it sounds like you get the benefits of early you know because it's not uh, it's not retirement but it's almost like early retirement because you get to go straight and start living that kind of retirement fantasy but you're you can still do as much work yeah. as you want basically and be yeah. nice and comfortable so I thought it through it's going to be you good you have there yeah. we go when can I, I think... retire <laughs> <laughs> well i think we can we can shake on that yeah that's a good job congratulations <laughs> thank you so much um yeah i think that that's definitely the most wholesome i mean when you when you actually hear the episodes we've already recorded <laughs> you'll see how differently those conversations <laughs> yeah with, they'll just they'll just tell us this like really lovely dream and we're like but then this horrible thing happens and how are you gonna deal with it <laughs> yeah i won't forget that you tried to set my therapy farm on fire that was a bit oh, it was just a guy. It was just a guy there. <laughs> we didn't introduce setting people on fire into <laughs> just a little, just a little guy. Just a little guy. He's got a wet tracksuit on. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing, and I and I won't take no for an answer here. Uh-huh. I may, I may wow, that's not consent, is it? <laughs> Blimey! Is that the only thing I will say as a price? Is that we're going to set you up as a supplier of little bits of butter <laughs> for a local hotel. That's fine. So a, a guy's going to come by maybe once a week and you wow. just hand him over ice bucket full of little bits of butter. Butter like, curls. Yeah, butter curls. Mm. And then he'll go off again. And that's it. But you're, you're like a supplier. Just for like a little local B&B or something. That's fine. Yeah, okay. I can do that. The only thing from making butter curls is you get a very shiny thumb. <laughs> what? Really? Why? As you're using the tool, you run your thumb along the butter again and again and again. You get uh. a very buttery thumb. <laughs> I thought you meant like permanently, like your thumb it is becomes sort of like permanently. <laughs> can we can we call the podcast that? Can we call buttery it buttery thumb? thumb? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> well oh. i think that um i think that we've got we've got the lovely job but we've also adhered to the format <laughs> by giving you one little stipulation so tick 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 this has been lovely thank you so much yeah, Lucy. Wow. No, thank you um i did not know that we were going to have such a huge variety of past jobs that's that was a real delight to have all those things popping up that's age um, for you <laughs> when you've been working since the age of 13 <laughs> just grafting mate non-stop yes. the first non-stop. moment when it was legally possible <laughs> yeah. 13th birthday your mum get yeah. down the hotel get down <laughs> get down there buttery thumb <laughs> start grafting <laughs> and I'm going to be keeping an eye on the credits of films mm. and TV shows I watch from now on, looking to see yeah, do. who the intimacy coordinator was, whether it was Lucy Fennell. Sometimes it will be. Sometimes it will be. Mm. Yeah. 
Well, that was a very undulating and interesting uh, career summary there with Lucy. Lucy has made a living out of dissecting and understanding comedy. So I'm not surprised that we felt the format slightly creaking under the strain of her analysis there. (laughs) But, um, you know, sometimes uh, you have a really clear idea in mind of what your dream job is. And uh, we don't want to spoil it for anyone. We want to ultimately give them their dream job and uh, make sure that they know the risks of taking it on. And, you know, Lucy's no fool. She knows what she's getting herself into with all those animals. Um, So, yeah, I really enjoyed that. What did you think? Yeah, I absolutely loved it. And I didn't realise Lucy had that many jobs um, until we spoke to her. And actually, there was a job that she told us about straight after recording yeah yeah. um which was um she used to engrave wooden spoons uh with people's names (laughs) um like by request so there was even more that we could have spoken about yeah Um, yeah because like we there was so much from that recording that we got so much material and of course we had to cut the episode down a bit because there was so much um, but then immediately after we finished the recording, uh, we immediately received a voice note mm-hmm. from Lucy saying, oh, by the way, I used to engrave wooden spoons as well. I forgot <laughs> to talk about <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, it was Yeah, it was a really fun app. Really, really fun app. Yeah, and we've got, um, we're, it's quite multimedia this episode because uh, we're going to have some extra, uh, we've got a couple of extra photos that Lucy's given us. Uh, one from when she was working on uh, Trisha. Um, and a couple of other things that uh, we'll share on uh, social media. So go and have a look at that now, because that'll be up. And, uh, well, it's a good thing you've mentioned the social media, Jacob, because uh, you need to go give us a follow. We are pretty much Careers Mayor podcast everywhere, um, or we're at Careers Mayor. Um, on, we're on TikTok, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram, we're on Facebook go look us up give us a follow and yeah like jacob said we're going to be posting a lot of material there around the pod a few little teasers um to to really get your your appetite hit for a listen absolutely and uh just like to give a quick shout out to my uncle joe who asked me to give him a shout out on the podcast so <laughs> hi uncle joe <laughs> Yeah, big big love to you, Joe, wherever you are. Yeah. Um, so um, episode four will be out on the 15th of October. Um, hi there, this is Jacob from the future from when the rest of this was recorded. Uh, actually, it's the 16th of October, not the 15th, sorry. With a new, brand new, ever so new mystery guest. <laughs> so do come back for that. And like Jordan said, please do follow us on our social media and stuff. And please also give us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts mm. or wherever you get your podcasts. It all helps. We're a little wee podcast. We're just starting out, making our way in the world, and every little helps. Thank you. Bye. Bye.